Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Armin Grigic, and today with me is uh, Steve Helvey. He is uh, the VP of channel for the Open Compute Project. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Amir. Great to be here. No problem at all. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and also how you got to work at the Open Compute Project? Sure. Um, uh, I am part of the full-time team at uh, the Open Compute Project, or as, as people refer to it as OCP. And uh, I've been with the foundation about four, four and a half years or so. And my background has primarily been in software. So after spending about a decade at, at Microsoft and then moving on to cloud hosting providers, focusing on OpenStack uh, with, with uh, Rackspace, um, and, then, and then moving on to, to the hardware side. So I've spent the last 15 years or so in Asia um, building out sales and channel uh, for software and open source infrastructure systems, and then uh, moved to the UK about two years ago, uh, based on some of the demand that we're seeing more across Europe. So um, that's my my role in, at OCP is really around three, three areas. One is end customer adoption. So if an end customer, such as a bank or a telco, is looking at open compute, I kind of help them understand the ecosystem and the procurement model. Uh, and then number two is I work uh, a lot with our resellers who are manufacturing or reselling either component level or full rack level solutions. And then third is I work with the manufacturers who are getting ready to design an open source product and helping them connect within the ecosystem to go to market. Interesting. So uh, when um, w you mentioned that you uh, you lived in Asia for a while, uh, just to diverge a little bit, how was that? Uh, why, why was that th that you actually went to Asia? Well, at the, that time, I'd always uh, I was based in in the U.S. and the opportunity uh, uh, arose to to take a job internationally. I'd always wanted to work overseas, and and uh, I was offered the opportunity to move to Singapore, and that's a great place. Um, it's kind of Asia for beginners. It's a very easy uh, place to adapt. Um, uh, heavily English based. Uh, so that was that was an easy adjustment, but it also allowed me uh, the experience of moving into new and emerging markets across, say, Southeast Asia, um, Indonesia, Vietnam, etc. So it was a good hybrid model of, of uh, uh, the support systems of Singapore and how efficient and how um, their how efficient and how well run the country is. And then it's a nice mix with the, the new and emerging technologies of people um, adopting some of their first wave of technology in some of these newer markets. So it was a good mix. Yeah. So uh, getting into that the technology part. So the, um, uh, could you tell a little bit about what the kind of open compute uh, project is or OCP? Yeah, the open compute project is... Um, a technical nonprofit. It has a little over 200 companies now, and it was started back in 2011 by Facebook. And at that time, uh, right around 2010, they announced that they were going to start building their own data centers. And uh, prior to that, they had been in co-location facilities, and they had been working with the traditional OEM vendors or original equipment manufacturers. And those are the big name brands that you would see in the market today, HP, Dell, uh, IBM, et cetera. But they were growing so fast um, that they needed to engineer a different type of hardware. So they went directly to the manufacturer. And what 
it's not it's not unusual for very large companies to go directly to a manufacturer and have something custom made for them. Um, that's not what was unique about it. What was unique is that as they started to think about the new way of doing infrastructure, they started to ask themselves, well, what, what do we actually need in the server? What can we get rid of? Uh, because we really just need a stripped down generic version of a traditional mm -hmm. server. So can we raise the operating temperatures? Can we raise the relative humidity? Uh, do we need centralized power systems within the, the infrastructure? So as they started to solve these problems um, with the manufacturers, they were able to deploy those at scale within Facebook, but more importantly, they decided to take the community approach and said, well, we're going to open source these designs. So again, mm -hmm. big companies working directly with the manufacturers for a custom project is not new. Um, what is new is the open sourcing piece. So they they decided, look, the, the hardware is not our competitive differentiator. We are going to open source these designs um, and get pace of engineering. So we're going to have a bunch of people looking at these designs and improving upon them. So with the help of a few other board members, Goldman Sachs, Rackspace, Intel, and Microsoft, they created the Open Compute Foundation. So that now comprises of 200 plus companies. We have around 20 working groups or projects all run by volunteers. And we have over 6,000 volunteer engineers working on common problems within those working groups. Yeah, because what what are some of the problems that uh, that are that you're trying to solve with this? Because um, not a lot of people will know how a data center looks like. I mean, I, I know a little bit because I had a I have a background in hosting, so I was in some data centers before. But uh, could you tell a little about a bit about uh, what the kind of difference is? Yeah, there's as as things as virtualization has taken place over the last eight to 10 years, you've seen software eating the hardware. You have a um, cloud-enabled apps now requiring up to two-thirds less hardware to run. And so one area is around density. Um, so the open, just a quick example, the open compute rack is 21 inches on the inside. So the, in a traditional rack on a data center is 19 inches. Um, width. Now, the open compute rack is, again, the same footprint, but on the inside of the rack, they've slightly twisted the rails a little bit that allows 21-inch form factors to fit inside. And that allows for 25% more density if you're looking at 5-inch hard drives across. Mm -hmm. So one is density. The other one is efficiency. So the um, one of the bigger issues within data centers are uh, the, the server's running at idle and using up too much power. Well, in an open compute system, um, we've we've maximized that. So in a traditional server, you have, uh, say, eight 40-millimeter fans in the back. In a yep. in an open compute server, we the OU height or the unit height is higher, and we use two 80-millimeter fans. So the larger the fan the less it needs to spin to move the same amount of airflow. They've stripped a lot of the vanity out of the server. So they've gotten rid of the bezels. They've gotten they've maximized the airflow. Um, these are some of the technical aspects that they're trying to solve. So I would say it's kind of customization at scale. 
Um, the mm. other piece is around OPEX. Many companies out there have multiple different types of vendors, which means a lot of different spare parts. They need tools to replace those parts. They require a great deal of um, care per server. In the open compute model, Amir, you have uh, what's called a toolless design. So you do not need a tool to replace many of the parts on the server. These are just green touch points that you can pull and latch and remove any of the major components within a server. So your OPEX um, decreases substantially. Um, you can now yeah. run several thousand servers per technician. So the, the normal technician to server ratio, Amir, might be one server for every 2,500 servers. But in an open compute optimized data center, you can reach tens of thousands of servers per technician. Um, mm. And so on an open compute rack, again, it allows also for flexibility and interoperability and modularization. So on the, the workload specific, uh, it is it allows you to have a multi-source vendor strategy where you can have multiple nodes in the same rack, um, which adds a lot of flexibility when you're talking about multi-vendor strategy. Um, everything clips into a centralized UP, um, a bus bar in the back, so you can quickly replace and a great deal more efficient on the OPEX again, and also on the, the energy usage. We're finding that open compute servers are running between say 30 to 50% more efficient at mm. idle and even at 20% more efficient at workloads. But I think the ultimate is around the business reason. So I've covered a lot on the technical piece, but the business reason that you get within an open compute model is in the traditional model, Amir, you have a set of OEMs, the big brand names. So they will create a product that fits a mass market, the majority of the market. They want to serve as many people as they can with a set number of SKUs. Mm -hmm. And that has been in the past for your traditional enterprise. Now, if you're a large customer, you can go to them and kind of get some specialized services. But in general, the mass market gets a set of SKUs with a limited set of technology that the OEM decides what to take to market. In the open compute model, you have a community. You have end customers working with vendors, suppliers, builders, all together in a working group. So they can then put together what fits for that particular industry. Let's say it's a telco rack, or let's say it's a telco edge server. And then you can have, let's say, AT&T working with Nokia, working with another manufacturer and working with a rack manufacturer to come up with a community-based design. You can go get multiple manufacturers making the same server based off of the same specification. So one mm -hmm. spec, multiple suppliers going to market quickly. So what's in it for an end customer like AT&T? Well, they can then go have multi-source strategy. What's in it for the vendor is I can get access to markets quicker. Yeah. I can reduce my R&D by working in a project group instead of kind of guessing what one or two of my customers need. Um, so there's a lot of business value behind that. So customers yeah. like being able to go to directly manufacturers. They like this one spec multiple supply chain. And then, of course, all the technical reasons I mentioned in the, in the previous um, 
section. Yeah. So say, for instance, I'm a company because um, it, it sounds interesting, of course, and the kind of efficiency and stuff like that, uh, maybe that's interesting for the data centers themselves that are running these servers, of course. Uh, but for the for the end customer, so what do they, how do I actually want, how do I use something like the OCP, right? So do I just search for a particular data center or how do I know which manufacturer to get to, get to or which data center I go to? On the procurement side, uh, there's we have on our website, opencompute.org, we have a list and a marketplace where you can see the different open compute products and you can mm -hmm. see the manufacturers and the vendors that make those products. You're going, you're going to see a couple different people on our website. You'll see the manufacturers um, that make, say, a server switch or um, a rack or a power shelf, but you'll also see systems integrators. So one, one thing that uh, enterprises typically enjoy is having someone to help them if they don't have a large enough team to deploy infrastructure. And that could just be normal servers or it could be open compute servers in general. You either have a big yeah. enough team to do things yourself or you prefer to work through a partner. We have both those models. If you work, if you want to work directly with the manufacturer, you can see the list of manufacturers and reach out to them directly. Um, the other option is to reach out to a list of systems integrators or VARs that work with all the different manufacturers, put together a rack level solution and can deliver and support that on site. Um, so those are the couple different ways that people procure open compute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, how does it work for the data centers? Because that's maybe the most interesting part because they're like, okay, we're, because data centers, are, if we look at the energy efficiency, those are kind of the like big users of energy, right? They're, they're using lots of energy uh, all the time. And uh, if, if they can bring that down and if they can bring down other stuff, like maybe cooling or something like that, because a data center needs a lot of cooling, not maybe not a lot of people know this, but you need like really huge installations of kind of climate control just to get uh, to to uh, kind of operating temperature in, in these kind of data centers. So how how do they usually go about if they want to use OCP? Because as you mentioned, uh, the racks are probably different. So how, how does that how does a data center do that? A data center, uh, let's look at two different areas. One is a brand new build of a data center. So a new build, or if you're designing a new data center, how would I design, design it to be OCP optimized? And then the other exactly. piece is, let's say I already work in a colo and I just want to start using open compute servers. Mm -hmm. And what kind of limitations are there? What kind of benefits do I get? So on the green greenfield or what what's called a new build or greenfield, it's pretty simple. We've put together a series of guidelines that allows a customer to look through all the different areas that go into a data center, architecturally speaking. So uh, IT white space, cooling, electrical systems, um, all of these different areas where we then outline, here's the ideal scenario for an open compute optimized data center. And these, these are already evident by you can take a look online and see all the different Facebook design data centers. Um, those are what we're seeing more and more of, either at the enterprise level or at the hyperscale level. As a typical example, in the past, data centers have had a raised floor. 
Um, and that was because of all the water pipes when they were cooling down the mainframes. However, in today's world, you do not need raised floors. With the operating temperatures and some of the cooling designs out there, you do not need raised floors. So a slab floor where I can roll a rack in, I have a nice high elevator. Um, those are some of the typical, all the power comes in from the top. These are some examples uh, of what you would do in a new data center to optimize it, hot aisle, cold aisle containment. Yeah. On a What's more important and what's more relevant for Europe is most people aren't going to go build their brand new data center by themselves. Um, they are going to typically have a, a set of servers or a set of racks in a co-location facility or a shared space. You can still get the same benefits that I'd mentioned earlier around efficiency and OPEX. However, most of those, if I'm in a colo, you know, they have large UPS systems, they have large water chillers, coolers that they need to then capitalize and, and monetize across a series of estates. So unless you can find a, say, a colo that wants to charge you based on your specific energy usage, um, that's where you really start to get into some of the benefits. You can still deploy, as I'd mentioned, the racks are the same footprint. You can still get the same operational and energy usage off of one rack versus say 200 racks, but you do mm -hmm. need to make sure that your facility can handle. Can they handle rolling in an OCP rack? You know, can the floor, because some of these OCP racks can be quite heavy. So mm -hmm. can they handle that? What is the power that you want to push to that rack? As racks get more and more dense, many facilities cannot take some of the power loads that people are requiring. So there are some limitations. Through these guidelines, we are helping colo providers become OCP ready. And so OCP ready is a brand you will see on our website. That means that I'm a colo operator. I have went through a certification process through Open Compute. I know what Open Compute racks look like. I know how to deploy them and my facility can handle open compute. And we have three of those in Europe and we have one of those in America right now. They, um, it's a brand new program. It's been out less than six months. So the mm -hmm. three that are in Europe, we have one in Sweden called Hydro 66. Uh, and those videos are online. Very impressive facility out of Sweden. We have the KO data center, uh, 20 miles north of London. And then we have the rack space London facility as well, which is OCP ready. So those are three examples. And then in, in America, we have giga data centers based on the East Coast, which has met yeah. OCP ready guidelines. Yeah, because um, uh, as you mentioned, I think the in the in the end, the kind of adoption is the hardest part, right? Where uh, you need to, uh, not, not the hardest part, it's just that um, data centers need to have like a, not an I don't know if it's an incentive, but uh, you need to have some reason to to go to this kind of OCP uh, platform, right? That's um, right. And uh, how do you how do you get them to to do that? Apart from, of course, saying uh, the efficiency and stuff like that, uh, I can imagine that's an, also an investment from their side to to get to that. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, the, the main things that you you kind of see where people are like, oh. I don't know if I want to do this or I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant or what are some of the things you, you would say to those kind of uh, data centers in this case? The, 
I've ran into two two different scenarios. One is people run the numbers and they say, okay, I'm going to, let's say that I'm saving 3% or 4% on my energy when I take every all my TCO um, other variables into account. Maybe that's not enough for somebody to move. Maybe yeah. you need to set your threshold at, um, okay, for 10% savings, I'm going to move. And that includes your IT costs, that procuring the servers, deploying it, moving to this new OPEX or uh, OPEX model. What do I save? What do I get out of it? So it, it really depends when I speak with customers, what is their threshold for, for ex- exploring something like this? Other people, Amir, just look at individual components within OCP. For example, open mm-hmm. networking. Let's say they stick with their traditional servers, but they like this idea of a disaggregated switch from the software that rides on the switch. So maybe mm-hmm. they'll start testing open networking. And we see that a lot where you have uh, financial services organizations using heavy open networking, but they stick with traditional gear uh, on the servers and storage. And we see the other way around on the telcos where they're looking at open compute primarily at edge and central offices and networking, but their core data center, they're doing something else. Um, mm. So it really, my advice to, to data center operators is that if you have an open source mindset within the company, if you're using open source software, it makes sense to start looking at open source hardware. The model is the same. Your, your flexibility and the benefits that you get are the same. Um, on the data center operator, it is tough. It is tough to sit down with a data center operator and say, here's, here's some new ways of doing things. Nobody particularly likes changing. Um, but what I have found in Tokyo as an example, they've set up an OCP rack right next to traditional infrastructure and they've run stress testing and they've run stress testing on the workloads, um, different types of energy usage. They've messed with the doors on the front to see, hey, does this really matter? Do I need a door? If I'm running my own mm-hmm. facility, can I get rid of it? Um, what are the seismic constraints? Um, what are the compliance uh, regulations that I need within OCP versus, say, a traditional gear? And what they're finding from that, they'll, they'll take the measurements. So I would recommend anybody test and do your own stress testing of traditional gear versus this new way of looking at open infrastructure and measure for yourself because it does vary based on location. Yeah. Yeah. And and the interesting thing, what you mentioned is it's, it's kind of a gradual process, right? Where you can um, kind of roll into the, into it instead of just saying, okay, I'm going full OCP everywhere. Uh, Just see like, okay, what is the, what is the kind of benefit, right? That, that investment is usually a lot lower than doing it fully where you're like, okay, I'm just going to do everything. Uh, without knowing what the the actual effect will be, uh, I can imagine that that helps as well. Yeah, and you have different countries have a different attitude about open source. Um, the Netherlands, mm. for example, very very aggressive and very open yep. to to open source and trying new things. Um, at no point have I ever sat down with a company and they say, "All right, we're going to stop what we're doing now." And then we're going to move 100% to this. It took <laughs> Yahoo, Yahoo example. Yahoo Japan is a great example. So about about five years, they started looking at open compute. I think they spent the first year just talking to Facebook about why are you doing this, um, how are you doing it, and then they started to slowly test a few racks, 
a few more racks. Then they built a brand new data center. Then they started retrofitting some of their old. And now they have over 25 or 30% of their estate is open compute with, and they've seen their per unit costs come. So prior to this, let's say they were a year and a half or two years into this and their per unit on the server was actually more than if I went my with my traditional stuff, but they were starting to see some gains and they were starting to see that curve come down on efficiency and OPEX where they continued. And now their per unit on the server is actually much less than traditional infrastructure. So it takes time. Um, but I would stress to people that it is moving this direction. All you have to do is is see what telcos are doing for 5G, what tier two cloud service providers are doing, and the amount of things that are happening around open source software, Kubernetes, Hadoop, big data, the HPC efforts, the, the AI efforts that are going on out there. All of this runs better on commodity white box hardware. Mm. Yeah, and what I was wondering about because it's open source, the the kind of the kind of designs and stuff like that. Um, what happens? Because I can imagine that uh, a lot of people are working on it and improving those designs uh, day by day. And um, is there also has there been some thought about how that will go in like practice? So, say for instance, I implemented design from a year ago or something like that. Maybe that design has been improved or or something like that. How? How uh, how does that fit in? So th- do do these kind of technicians then uh, try to kind of alter these designs, or h- how does that go? It the platform refresh. Um, let's say you're you're following an Intel um, mm-hmm. generational refresh. We usually hardware doesn't move as fast as as software, where you do this um, continuous deployment. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So you have you have time, um, and people aren't moving generationally on hardware as fast as they would on software. So when a new platform refresh comes out, um, in many cases, a lot of these manufacturers with an open compute have early access to the Intel designs uh, as they're working with, say, Facebook and Microsoft and some of the hyperscalers. Uh, so you will see some of the designs coming out. Um, uh, as early as possible, as early as Intel will release those designs, specifications are being created. The design files behind those are being updated. So firmware is being updated, BIOSes are being updated, and that's really up to then um, very similar to version controlling on software is how how current do you want to be with all of that and, and whether or not it makes sense for your infrastructure to be on the latest and greatest. Um, again, I'm not seeing where the hardware cycles are outpacing OCP in that area at all. So yeah, it's yeah. it's really, I think most people are on a three to five year refresh on the hardware side. Yeah, so they um, they basically have this, it's almost the same refresh as you would have with the commodity hardware, right? That's right. And in fact, you can probably even run some of this a little bit longer uh, based on how stripped down it is. And and um, with the modularity approach, with the fact that you have one rack with a bus bar in the back, you can swap servers, swap hard drives. So a lot of the component or modularity design of this allows you to upgrade and refresh as you need it within different components, say, whether it be a computer or a storage node, rather than refreshing the entire rack. 
Yeah, exactly. So you you look at it kind of as a unit itself instead of uh, just a server by server basis, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's the idea. So um, I have two more questions before we wrap up. Um, so a little bit about the future, because um, when you, when you look at hardware, uh, as you said. Uh, the kind of refreshes are not the not as they're not going as hard as uh, as for example for software and stuff like that. But I, I was wondering, like, uh, where do you kind of see this moving towards in the future? Because uh, the uh, uh, maybe data centers have evolved over the last 10, 15 years, but uh, the the kind of evolutions are kind of incremental in most cases. Um, how how do you see that? How do you see that? Do you see that changing kind of uh, towards the future? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that always uh, come up during my conversations uh, with with vendors or customers. Um, in customers, almost everyone I speak with uh, at the enterprise level are looking at a hybrid cloud hybrid cloud approach. So they're going to mm -hmm. run a certain amount of their estate in one of the public clouds, Azure, Amazon. Um, but then they're going to continue to run and want to do more in their private cloud environment. And what they like about the same things that they get out of the public cloud, functionality, um, flexibility, we're positioning that these public clouds run open compute underneath. Microsoft runs all open compute, Facebook runs all open compute, Google, etc. They can have their private cloud infrastructure to look just like and behave just like their public cloud infrastructure, mm -hmm. which helps when you're doing cloud native applications. So then you can interchange and, and move between clouds a little bit more, more frequently. So hybrid cloud will continue to be a big push in the enterprise and you'll see more of our solutions be designed for that. The other piece that I see um, companies trying to define is the edge. So you hear a lot of different definitions. Uh, everyone has their perspective on it. We see that the edge applications started off in telco, but are quickly um, moving outside of that to say retail when they view their stores as an edge or they have a lot of real estate at the edge. Uh, there was an article that came out a few months ago around how Walmart is looking at taking on Amazon uh, with their cloud services because 80% of Americans live within a 10 mile radius of a Walmart. So Walmart has a lot of real estate. They can actually become a micro data center at these facilities. Mm -hmm. And so with that, with how dense you can get some of these units with higher operating temperatures, um, you can start to think of micro data centers in New, the new definition of, a, of what, a, what a data center is. They'll still be the core data centers, um, but we'll need, we'll need more of these micros. And I think that definition will continue um, to move. And this is an area, it's one of the fastest growing areas with an open compute is defining what some of these edge technologies look like. Um, yeah. And I would say the other piece on the, on the actual data center side, Amir, is around advanced cooling. Um, we've, We've heard about liquid cooling. We've heard about immersion cooling for many years, but the amount of interest and the amount of people looking at robotic immersion cooling, uh, where you have robots that completely take care of your immersion pod, um, servers running in a, in a fluid-based, 
lends itself to that edge computing. You can stick an immersion closed pod almost anywhere. And if it's running high dense workloads, or if you're a car manufacturer, you can have immersion pods sitting anywhere or cold plate cooling systems. Um, I also see in the future, um, one of my colleagues mentioned that most of the data center builds now that are at being thought about or in the design phase are planning for both liquid and immersion and air-cooled. So you will have to design your facility to handle both of these requirements in the future as racks become more dense and workloads become more, uh, more demanding. So those yeah, are really yeah. the three. At the enterprise level, it's how can I help these guys at the enterprise level uh, connect better with public cloud and give them a private cloud environment similar to that. Again, on the edge as well. Um, and then advanced cooling is the third. Very interesting. Very interesting because uh, when I when I look at it, uh, the the time that I spent in a data center has, I think it was uh, about ten years ago, something like that. Uh, and it's interesting to see how these kind of things evolve, and uh, people are looking into new and new technologies to to kind of get it more efficient. Uh, because back then it was all air cooled, all raised floors. <laughs> it 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 has it has come a long way from, since then. It has, um, and I. And I, I do think that there's one last overarching um, concept or principle or philosophy that is encompassing everything that I mentioned prior to that, and that is the circular economy approach. Um, we are finding more and more companies, especially in Europe and um, in North America is starting, but Europe is far, far ahead in the eco standards around IT equipment. And that means putting together standards that around efficiency guidelines where servers have to meet a certain efficiency level at idle. Uh, there is uh, There are efforts around scope three emissions, which are all the embodied energy that goes into the IT equipment inside the facility. So it's not just the concrete and the doors and the air conditioning, but it's the stuff, the IT equipment running inside, how much of that is recycled and repurposed. So we are... Um, really focused on circular economy within open compute, where we have companies that are taking the racks coming out of these large hyperscalers, recertifying and repurposing them at a rack level. So not just decommissioning and scrapping it for parts, but taking the, the product itself at rack level, recertifying it, and it's being deployed at scale in liquid cooled environments, as well as air cooled environments across Europe to, cool. to capitalize on that circular economy approach. Yeah, very cool. And you mentioned the the one in in Norway, I think it was the data center. Sweden. Uh, yeah. Oh, Sweden. Sorry. Uh, and you mentioned something hydro, so I, I can imagine that it's kind of hydro powered or something like that. It is. It's a. It's um. They're the corner of of a couple of the major uh, rivers up there. They've got endless hydro power, and it's right up in in Lulia, Sweden, where uh, a lot of the hyperscalers have their data centers as well. Yeah, and that, that kind of ties in well to that kind of circular thing uh, where you also have the energy that is kind of renewable in a sense. Uh, That's right. That you can, uh, very cool. Um, I have one more question, the last one uh, that I always ask. Um, what are you most proud of since you started at, uh, at OCP? Um, a lot of, it's been really fun to, to see how uh, people are changing their mindset around 
something so closed and locked in and proprietary as hardware designs and, and how companies realize the benefit of working together and opening things up. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of these hardware companies have huge patent estates. And to see them start to work together in a, an open compute project environment like this has really been fun and rewarding. Um, when I started, I think there, we might have had less than 1,500 engineers across our projects. And we only had, I think, six or eight core projects. Now we have 20 working groups and we have over 6,000 engineers. So that that's probably been the, the, the most rewarding piece is just seeing all of the volunteers. Um, and that growth lends itself to the fact that people are getting something out of the community. Very cool, very cool. Um, how can f- people find the Open Compute Project on the internet? Uh, very simple, opencompute.org. Uh, and all of the information's there, including you can find all of our contact information under about, under the team. My email is quite simple. It's steve at opencompute.org. If anybody has any questions or needs any additional information, I'm happy to help. Cool. Um, I will put it in the show notes as well so uh, people can, uh, can find that. Um, uh, thanks again, Steve. It was uh, great to talk to you. Amir, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, and for the listeners, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com uh, and, uh, of course, on all major podcasting platforms. Uh, and uh, there's a newsletter if you want to find uh, new uh, and exciting stuff. I send out uh, five articles uh, about technology, business, and leadership. You can find the newsletter on bitsvsbytes.com newsletter. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>